Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat. My name is Sean Benson, and I'm one of your hosts, and I love our hosts tonight. We have one of these tonight, and I love it because I get the chance to chat with my senseis, and sometimes I get to chip in a little extra, but I love it especially because y'all tend to be a bigger part of the show than usual. So we'll get to that in a sec when we do our housekeeping, but it's Thursday at 8.30 p.m. There's no place I'd rather be than here, and uh, every week I get the honor of introducing Sensei Nicholas Suino. He's an eighth dan in Iaido, a sixth dan in Judo, a sixth dan in Jiu-Jitsu. And, you know, we talk so much on this show and something that comes up so much is how much our senseis offer us, not just in terms of the specific martial arts, you know, as a white belt, that might just be it. But you eventually come to know them as men or women or people who, who guide how they live their entire lives. And to that end, uh, as has been mentioned in the pre-chat, Sensei Suino is celebrating what I believe is a 20th anniversary tonight. I'll let him talk about that, but I've never been able to go 20 years or been married that I know of. And uh, I, I just think it's such an impressive thing to be able to string together that level of commitment. And uh, Sensei Suino, how'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Uh, you know, it just creeps up on you. 20 years goes by in a heartbeat. And when you're having fun, it goes by even faster. So the challenge for me is to find somebody who will stick with me despite my constant stream of harebrained ideas uh, and, and successive failures leading to only occasional success. So um, Pam was just, uh, just uh, foolish enough to decide she was gonna spend some time with me. And the next thing you know, it was 20 years. Beautiful, what a beautiful thing. Congratulations. And how are you doing tonight on your own? How's life? Doing great, life is busy. And that's okay. So getting a lot done, looking forward to a really busy fall. Spent a little time outside lately, doing a ton of training, which is really good. And I'm sure we'll talk about this, but like you guys have been watching some of the Olympic stuff, spent a lot of time watching replays of Olympic judo and a little time uh, in the last day or so watching some karate. So I hope we get a chance to chat about that stuff. Right on. So it falls to me each and every week to introduce our co-host, Randy Dauphin, Sensei Randy Dauphin, to many. And I think in the time of, in the course of our time together on this show, I've said everything I know about him and said it all again. But what I will say tonight is that, as I was just mentioning my harebrained ideas, that he's one of the first people to step up when I propose something extreme or challenging or to help get people out of their comfort zone. And it's like the, it's like the old joke, you know, if you got 20 people online and you ask for volunteers in the normal setting, 19 of them step back and that poor sap who's still standing in front has to take the fall. But uh, if I were to ask 20 people and Randy was one of the people in the room, hey, I've got something really cool going on. It's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be really, really hard. It's gonna take a ton of commitment. I need all kinds of help. He'd be the first guy to step forward. And that's true in martial arts and in life. And to me, that's super high praise. Uh, and I offer that to anybody who wants to up their game in martial arts or physical fitness or in life in general. Spend some time with Randy and you'll see truly how he does anything is how he does everything. Thanks. Andy, how are you, man? I'm good. It's nice to see you. I said uh, before we let everybody in that it hasn't been that long since we've all been seeing each other and talking to each other. But for some reason tonight, it felt like a really long time as I was... Yeah. I was excited to turn the computer on and, and be chatting with everybody tonight. Um, you know, and yeah, I'm really, 
congratulations on your anniversary. One of those things, you know, you often talk about how you've been around for my kids' births and through their whole life. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that we can all say is all of us have known you since before you were with uh, Madam Sweeno. And we've got to watch how, how good it's been yeah. for you to be with Madam Sweeno and how much your life has changed. And man, what a positive change. That's what I would say. Yeah. I love that. I love that lady. Um, she's on my team when, like, when the zombie apocalypse comes, I want Pam on my team for sure. <laughs> she says the same thing about you. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you for that great introduction, uh, Sensei. Um, also, you know, before we move on too much, I just want to say, um, I, lately I've been realizing that um, when people are in front of you, it's easy to say that they think about you. But when people think about you when you're not in front of you, that's a different level of a relationship. And uh, I want to say that I was, I didn't expect it, but I'm, I'm very touched that you would postpone the crucible because the Canadian contingent made make up such a big part of what that event actually is. That felt really that, was, that warmed my spirit in a different way when that, that came. And it's because I wasn't standing in front of you when you made the decision. You made that decision um, without us being there. And that I think that says a lot about a relationship. So thank you uh, for that, Sensei. Thanks for everything. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait to come. I know all of the Canadians want to come. Actually, even Sensei Legacy and I were talking, he's like, I need to get that stuff worked out and I need to get down there. So we're... Fingers are crossed that we're going to get Sensei Legacy to a crucible because um, while I enjoy instructing the fighting part of it, I would also mostly enjoy just Sensei Legacy doing that and being in the lineups of people. And on that, I'm going to introduce Sensei Legacy. He's the 10th then. He was awarded that by uh, Sensei Anthony Sandoval, another person who I have great love and respect for. He's a member of the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame. He's an author um, of this book called The Elite Fighter. Um, and it's really interesting. I was thinking about it, uh, this book, and I was thinking about Sense Legacy. Before I get into that, I'm just also gonna mention that student of Harold Warden, Benny Allen, Richard Kim, and also Sense Asuino. He received a black belt from Sense Asuino in Iaido. Um, and we got lots of good things. Sense Legacy and I got lots of good things. One of the things I'm really looking forward to right now is we're gonna go out to BC and we're gonna see our good friend, uh, um, Nick McLaren, who runs the BC dojos out there. And we're also going to get to go see one of the people we've had on here, which is I've been in communication with Sensei Mustard, and he's really excited for us to be out there and to be able to have some beer and chicken wings. Um, uh, I want to say first something funny. I remember once I was in a car with Sensei Legacy late at night, and we were pulling up to a Tim Hortons. And if you don't know this, between the two of us, Sense of Legacy and I drinking double doubles have probably sponsored at least six or 20 <laughs> Tim Hortons franchises with the number of those coffees that we've drinking. But uh, he pulled up and he looked at the microphone and, you know, good evening. Can I help you? And he said, we'll have two, two medium Snapple pooples. <laughs> and we burst out laughing and they gave us double doubles. It was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to get back to this book, though. So, um, you know, Sensei all the time says about, um, oh, you know, 
about the physical way he does karate. He doesn't think highly of his own performance when he does kata or when he does basics. But I want to tell you that Sensei Legacy has great basics. He has amazing basics and he can hurt you with every single one of those basics. Um, Sensei Benson and I, like in the last couple of years, have been in different places with him. Like in Chatham was one of the places and he's just standing in front of the room and he just like cracks a reverse punch. And Sean and I just kind of look at each other like, yeah, that's the one that we're all striving for right yeah. there. Yeah. Really good basics. Another yeah. thing about Sensei Legacy is uh, if you get to fight him, I always say he's the most unconventional fighter that I've ever stood in front of. And when I say unconventional, what I mean is he doesn't really need to stand in a certain position or, you know, he might start there, but as you're fighting with him, you're going to find him in a lot of different stances that you might think he's open. And I dare you to try and get him while you think he's open. And you're going <laughs> to, when you try and get him, you're going to find that he was pretty prepared when you come after him. Um, and if you read this book, you're going to learn a lot of that stuff in that, in this book, there's a lot of that information, things about, um, I'm just going to say the word resetting. If you don't know what that is, you should reach out to Sense Legacy and get a seminar. I know what it is. I know what resetting is, but you don't. So you should, you should pursue him and, and get that. You're going to hear about garbage can lid defense. You don't know what that is, but I do. And you should reach out to him or you should get this book and then you'll have more questions and then you'll want to reach out to him. Um, Another thing that uh, I was just with Sensei, uh, like uh, when he got back from his family, I went and visited him and we were talking. And um, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot is once we were in Vancouver, the last, well, maybe 10 times ago when we were in Vancouver, we were in a place that we weren't supposed to be. And a guy said to me, because we were a little distance from each other. And I went to go in this door and Sensei came walking up behind me. And the guy said, is that guy with you? And I said, nope, I'm with him. And the guy opened the door and let us come in. And I just wanted always to be known that I'm always with him. I'm always with Sensei Legacy. Um, and that's my introduction for, introduction for Sensei Legacy tonight. How you doing, Sensei? I'm doing great, thank you. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to take over a little bit of the housekeeping. But one thing I want to do that, you know, the other week, uh, we all said a little something about Hanshi Legacy. And I, I, I just want to say a quick thing about Sensei Dolphin. You know, he just mentioned that about Sensei Legacy, like I'm with him. The thing is, and this has come up on our show a lot, is a good teacher is also with their students. I, you know, I've been a student for over 25 years now. And last week or two weeks ago, many of you may or may not have noticed, but I was wearing nail polish, partly for a role, but partly for fun. I love that shit. And I remember it was back in the late 90s. I was maybe a brown belt, possibly a black belt. And I was wearing nail polish just for fun because I love that shit. And somebody at, in our club was just like, ah, tough guys don't wear nail polish. And I remember you, Sensei, and you might not even remember this. You went, well, he is, so I guess they do now. <laughs> just, you know, I felt so part of my Sensei's family in both directions, like getting back what I gave. And, and I felt really, uh, I felt the loyalty of a brotherhood in that moment. And I really appreciated that, you know, and uh, I've always been a little quirky and idiosyncratic. Uh, and I've always appreciated that you've always appreciated that about me. Uh, and that was a moment, I, th I think I was probably brown, but where I went, oh, okay. Uh, 
not everybody might get my shit, but I like that my sensei does. And I just want to say thanks for that because, you know, you offer a loyalty up, but you also offer it down. Thanks, Benz. You know, you know, it's more embarrassing than wearing nail polish. <laughs> Getting your ass kicked by the guy wearing nail polish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talk about that with Sensei Copeland wearing the pink, right? Yeah, he wore pink fighting gear one day and kicked the shit out of everybody in this tournament. <laughs> and and before it started, when he had the pink stuff on, people were like, what's that guy doing? Where? And I said, you know, it's going to be more embarrassing for you than him wearing pink fighting equipment. <laughs> the fact that that guy with pink fighting equipment is going to kick your ass in about 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know Hanchi has a question that he wants to open up to the floor, but I just want to say to everybody watching is that why we love these hosts chat so much is because you're a part of it in a way that you aren't the normal weeks. Because when you have our guests normally, we'll take your question, it'll come through Robert, and then we'll ask it of our guest. But tonight, you ask it of us, and we put your camera on unless you request not to, which is cool. But we love having you as part of this living history. We want to see you tonight. You know, when you mentioned Josh Hanley on the call, I was like, I hope Josh has got a question. I love Josh. I'd love to hear what he's curious about or thinking about these days and what he wants to know, uh, or just to chime in with some bullshit for fun. Um, in any case, uh, Hanshi, I know you had a question for Sensei Suino, and that seems like a really good place to start. Yes. Uh... Uh, the Olympics are in our faces today. They're really, really great. I, I watched karate in there. Watched, I was watching everybody performing. I was watching the women's kata. It led into the late night, so I partially fell asleep while it was happening. But, you know, a light went on, and I was thinking uh, about Sensi Suino. Like, every time you see him with a sword on his side, it's like grace. Uh, to me, it's like beauty and deadliness at the same time. And I was just going to ask him, you know, um, I was sort of, as I was watching it, uh, I was thinking to myself, boy, wouldn't it be nice if Sensi Suino was in the Olympics and he, he walked away with a gold medal because he did, you know, defeat the Japanese in Japan with EI. So uh, my question to you is, what do you think about uh, EI being in the Olympics, not, not only the cutting, but doing the kata the way it is. Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, I, it's funny you say that because I was, I was so impressed with Sandra Sanchez this time. I've always loved her karate, but she brought this level of intensity this time. Uh, one of the videos of her shows a lot of close-ups of her face, and you can just see clearly she's practiced that. But the level of, of um, preparation and structure and, uh, and, and uh, drama from, from movement, was, it, it was so powerful. And I love, I love what you said. The idea of being able to do Eido at, at a world-class level in front of that audience, that's a really powerful concept. I can't see how the Olympic Committee would ever take a niche art like Eido and get it out there but I mean can, can you imagine being one of the 10 best EIDO people in the world and what it would feel like to perform at that level in front of the Olympic audience it would be astonishing yes yeah why do you think they couldn't get that together I just don't know if the world has a as a you know look how long it took them to get karate in and they're only going to try it this one time I mean 
it's just that's that's an absurdity to me. I just don't know if people. I don't know if people would have would appreciate it. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I would love it if that would happen. I would I would do everything I could to support people who were who were trying to get into that. You know, who are trying to position themselves mm -hmm. to be on that team. That's just, you know, can I ask you a question about that or just building on Sensei Legacy's question with Yaido? Yeah. Because, you know, Taekwondo got in pretty, pretty straightforward. And I think it's because Taekwondo is just Taekwondo. There's not necessarily these different versions of Taekwondo. Whereas karate really suffered to get in because it took a long time to figure out what's the kata list between all the styles. And, you know, we had to agree that now there's this new system called Olympic karate. Like it's not Shoner, it's not Gojuru. They might have elements of those things, but it's Olympic karate. And I think that's maybe what Seti Ryu has become. And so I just wonder, is that the path forward? The path forward is more standardization and more popularity. And then it's a chicken and an egg thing, right? Like if it hits the Olympics, I believe it would become super popular. If people saw you do Eido in the Olympics, I would love it because they would come flooding into these dojos ah, and want to learn Eido. Yeah, wouldn't that be? Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like the Toho set from All Japan Eido Federation, right? Okay. Five kata from five, from five different systems that everybody has to do. Um, the other logistical question is how long would the performances be? You know, a karate kata takes, what, a minute to a minute and a half, maybe two minutes for a really long one. You know, uh, one Iaido waza, you know, takes 20 seconds, 30 seconds, maybe. Um, so you'd probably have to stack, stack them together. And then that other thing that raises, as I'm thinking about, you got me excited about this, um, is what's the, what's the demeanor of the performer in between the, in between the cuts, right? How do they mm. deal with that? I've always, when I first got back from Japan, I dreamed about doing a TV commercial with EIDO because it was such an unusual thing at the time when I came back to North America. And I thought if you could get that drama of EIDO done well and put it next to a, a really good sports car or something, what a cool, what a cool, uh, you know, contrast or image. Love that. Um, but I like the, I like the Olympic thing even better. Just the, the, to be in front of an Olympic audience doing EIDO would be culmination of a lifetime of practice. What if it was head-to-head -head competition, Sensei? What if it was, like, when I competed in the Canadian Championships, it was head-to-head. -head. You went in at the same time as another competitor, mm -hmm. and you had to bow in, put the sword in the belt. Like, you started with the sword out. You had to do the whole thing. They told you what waza you were going to do. There were five. Mm -hmm. And then you had to end with the proper etiquette and leave. Head-to-head -head might be the way to go. You'd still <laughs> kill everybody, but... <laughs> Mm. At this point, at this point, I think my role is is you know to to supervise or get on the judging committee. But um, how cool! I just I love that nope. idea. It's, no, it's... we're not allowing that. <laughs> get gold, then do that. Right, right. Yeah, and who would you be cheering for if it was Canada versus the United States and me and Miller and Holland against each other, and you have to coach all of us? <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> It'd be tough. So I got a question out of this for all of you, and um, maybe we'll go in like Hanshi Sensei Suino Sensei Dolphin order is aside from public, uh, you know, knowing about Iaido, knowing about karate, 
is it a good thing? Because like running's just running, right? Like there's no, you, you get from A to B as fast as you can. You jump as far as you can. You, you uh, row as fast as you can in a boat. But with styles of karate and also rules of fighting, where you basically have to go, you know, I've, I see a lot of people on my TikTok feed who are shitting all over the Taekwondo. And they're like, what am I fucking watching right now? Is this supposed to be fighting? Especially because, you know, 20 years ago, when MMA wasn't as prevalent, they didn't have the frame of reference for why they today say they don't like the Taekwondo. So that's my question is, aside from the public perception elevating, could it hurt the art to have to create all that standardization, including a diminished fighting? Personally, I don't believe so. I think Eido is like kata. And if they wanted to see the real art, the true art, they would have to see classical sword people. You wouldn't have guys like in tournaments now who go up and handle a sword like a baton and throw it up in the air. And they would see real samurai sword work. And what about karate? This, this would be an eye opener. Yeah, but karate, they fight each other, they do kata. And as you know, they've changed it, but you can't, I don't think you can change the eye. Right. I think it, it would be an eye opener. I think it would actually give the world a little bit of culture. And so, you know, what do you think about the eye or the karate? Well, you know, I, I don't think it destroys it, right? I mean, look, you've got, you've got legacy Shurenru and you've got Olympic karate, right? They coexist. Uh, uh, there will always be there will always be classical people and non-classical people. There are baton twirling sword people, right. but nobody who knows any better takes them seriously, right? It, uh, and, and there's no gravitas. There's no, you don't get that dignity from it. From it. Um, so I think they coexist. I think they kind of feed into each other. I know which one I like. I love that idea. I love that idea. There's room for both. Sensei Dova? I think the only danger is if, uh, and I don't think that, I don't think this exists right now would be, this is a dojo that's just Olympic karate. I think that would be a bit of a travesty or this is a dojo of just Seiti Ryu Iaido. Like these 12 Waza encapsulate all of your training. Right. Right. That would probably, that would be a travesty, but most of those people that you see in the Olympics right now, I find it hard to believe that that's they train that like hard religiously, but they all come from some type of a classical background that has the totality of martial arts behind them. Right. That's my belief. Anyway, most of these people like Sanchez comes from a very strong classical background of martial arts. And now she's taking that classical background and changing it just to, you know, for the performance aspect of it and the competition aspect of it. Um, I remember, uh, when Sydney, my daughter did the Grand Prix circuit for, um, the WKF, right? Like which the world, or sorry, the WKO, the world karate organization. And I remember a couple of our students going in there and I remember they hadn't ever fought that way before they fought the way that we fight, like more contact, get a tooth chip, be tough. And I remember the one, the one student, I'm not going to name his name because I really love the guy, but I remember as we walked up to the ring, I looked at the one kid who was laying at the edge of the ring and I thought, oh God, I hope they don't have to fight each other in the first round. And then they had to. And it was done like 
like that. Like, you know, the way that format goes, it's like two minutes stop time, or if you get eight points up. And I think 15 seconds later, it was eight points up because it was like three head kicks in a row. Boom, 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 done. And I remember our guy was like, oh, if we get in the parking lot, I'd like to see what would happen. And I remember I said to him, you know, he looked pretty confident. I think he might kick your ass in the parking lot too, because I have a feeling he's actually a classical martial artist. <laughs> right. waiting to do this right now. So, right. so I guess to answer your question specifically, if you just did Olympic karate, you joined a dojo that just taught that or Olympic Yaido, I think that would be not good. Right. But that you're probably not going to find that. If I could say something too, to add to that is, you know, when they're looking for people to go into the world championships and the Olympics, they're not looking for guys who don't have a background. They're not looking for guys who don't know how to fight, right? They're looking for the guys with the backgrounds so that they can train them because they're coaches, right? They're, they could be, I guess, classical martial artists, but all the roots come from there. All yeah. the knowledge comes from there. And the Olympics, while truly respected, are just a very small part of what we do. So um, those fighters, those kata people, were probably the really good ones, had to have years of classical training, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm just such a big fan of things that include both, you know, not either or. And I, I like that I'm hearing that from every all my teachers tonight. Uh, I think it's net positive, though, Ben's. Yeah. Like, I think we all of our dojos will benefit from karate being in the Olympics because people will come to our dojos. Right on. Right. Just that's why going back to Sensei Legacy's question, if Sensei Suino did Iido, we would have an insurgence of people who are like, I want to yep. do that and I want to do it like that. And then they would come in here and they've learned the totality of what the art is, not just that slice of it. Yeah. So everybody wins. And I would know an Olympic champion. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a great fantasy, but you know, it's funny. I, um, I was going to ask this question and I think we, this kind of leads into it. What are the different parts of karate as a complete art? You know, we always say the the cliche is, right, kihon kata kumite, right? Basics, kata, fighting. But then I started thinking, well, there's bunkai, right? And there's also combat karate or street fighting karate. I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts, each of your thoughts on that. What are the, what are the different parts of the art? What's the, what is the whole art what are, that encompasses all of karate? What are the pieces of it? There are so many. Mm. There are so many. That's why it's not just based on that one going into the Olympics and doing kata or going into point karate. The, there's uh, facing an opponent, for instance. While, they're, while they are in the Olympics and they're great athletes, they don't face a guy who's trying to kill them. There's also a referee standing there to protect them. So there's that part of it that... Uh, It's just um, more complete, where you're, you're really facing true danger, and it's a real test on yourself. Beating another person because they were slow or they made a mistake is something completely different. But honorable, I'm not trying to demeanor them. Uh, 
the Olympics in any way, because I would love to be one of those young guys in there fighting you, you and Kata. It's, it's not going to happen, but uh, what would it be like to say, hey, I was once an Olympian? Isn't that the greatest thing on earth? Amazing. So there are so many other things in real karate that most people don't even fathom. You know, I, I got to tell you something. That even I've had persons in my club who just got their black belts or were just getting close to their black belts. And they thought they were tough and, and all this stuff. They're not, not everyone is honorable. They went in and get into a street fight and they get their butts kicked and they say, well, karate really doesn't work. That's because they never really learned that street level karate. Street level was born out of uh, street fighting, uh, warring. You know, they're called warriors because they fight to the death. It's not that they're fighting for points. It, it takes a whole completely diff different mindset. Uh, so one thing says, I'm lucky. So I think it, a lot of it has to do with the teacher that you have, right? Like what is their thought on karate? If you go through the masters in history, they have different thoughts and they would give you different answers. Um, and one of the things that I grabbed onto in the beginning was since legacy said, look, basics is kata, kata is fighting, fighting is basics, basics is like those three are interchangeable. And I think if you only have one without the other, you're going to be at a disadvantage when you are confronted by somebody who has the totality of karate. I keep saying totality, but they have all of that, right? I also think, said Susino, it's not a chicken and egg thing. People think of it like it's chicken and egg thing, but it's not. The conflict came first, right? And then the techniques came second. So first somebody got their ass kicked and then they had to figure out like, how do I not get my ass kicked anymore? Right. And they started to figure that out. And then they had to figure out, well, how do I teach this other person how to not get their ass kicked anymore either? Right. Like genius is somebody who doesn't make the same mistake once. Right. So they took all the knowledge of all the mistakes that they made and they passed it on to somebody and imagine trying to write it all down. Right. Like trying to write down all the lessons that you received in a karate dojo or it's just much easier to physically move around and have that imprint in your brain and with your body doing the kata. So that's what I think. I, I think you have to do all of it. You can't just fight and not do kata. You'll be at a severe disadvantage um, in a real conflict. You need to do kata and, and kumite and basics. They all build your mind and your body and your spirit. And I think that's where it comes down to. If the art that you're doing builds your body, your mind, and your spirit across different planes of and distances of conflict, then you're in a true art. If you're in an art that only teaches you how to deal with conflict at one distance and through one plane of movement, that's not it for me. That's a fantasy art. You're living in some fantasy world then. Um, since it's, you know, the only thing I can add uh, for myself is that, you know, the first or second week I was in karate, Hanchi Legacy said the two books you should look at are The Weaponless Warriors. So that's the history. So the, the idea that there's that component to it, that it's, it's something that existed before today. But the other one was Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. And I did not know how much I was thirsting for that path. 
that way. And the second, like I went out the next day and found that book and that fundamentally changed my life as much as the punching and kicking and it underpins it to this day. Um, and interestingly, I just pulled up the title because I'd, I'd lent the book to one of my students, but I found one recently that is almost as exciting for me. It's called The Art of Life and Death Lessons in Budo from a Ninja Master. I don't know if anyone's encountered this one, but it's very much got that Zen flesh, Zen bones type of, not quite cones, but vibe. And I remember reading this recently. It was a gift going, God, I love this part of it. I love that there's this, you know, you have it on your webpage, the Budo idea. So the idea that there's this spiritual underpinning to it is so key to me. Um, I want to pivot to a question while still kind of answering Sensei Suino's question, if that's cool, which is the idea of inside versus outside. Because I was working with my students on getting outside to their backside and went down to Sensei Dofen's dojo this weekend and we worked on the same thing. And for me, if I'm fighting you in a sparring encounter, let's say Sensei Suino, I'm probably trying to get to the inside. And if there's a third man there, but with what you know and what we both know, if this was a real conflict, I'd never want to be inside you, right? If given the choice, I want to get outside behind your elbows, behind your back. And for me, that's a big thing too. Like the totality. I love that word. It's like, I want to get outside behind you, break things, spine things that we can't do in sparring. And so that for me is always a part of it. And it was nice to be reminded by my sensei on the weekend. Like, yeah, this is the conflict version is get behind, break the back, not get in front, score the point. And I just kind of wanted to ask Sensei Dolphin and Sensei Legacy about that. Like, if you agree that, would that be an 80% rule? Like you kind of want to get inside if you're sparring and outside if you're trying to hurt somebody. Depends who you're fighting. Depends what, where the fight is. When you, if you're a true practitioner of Zen flesh and Zen bones and of martial arts, you will have an empty mind. Because if you have something in your mind, you're going to be defeated. You have to be reactionary, uh, move on the spur of the moment. It is safest to be outside. It is also safest to be inside. It's the in-between that's dangerous. You watch professional boxers sometimes. They put their heads right on the guy's chest because you can't hit inward. You can, but you're going to be you're not going to hurt them, right? It's you're not made that way. So, um, whilst you're a beginner and you're practicing stuff like that, uh, if the circumstances uh, demand it, um, you will just react naturally to either going inside or outside. You'll be able to see what's going on in the moment. If you pre-think or after think, which makes it clearer you're going to get it. <laughs> Someone's going to lay a beating on you. Especially, that's what I'm saying. That's why in the Olympics, for instance, you can walk away on stage because the person isn't doing what they really intend. They're just scoring a point. So it's a completely different mindset being in a real fight. That's why I was mentioning some of those black belts who thought they were black belts um, got defeated in the street because... They didn't realize that their nerve would fail them when they faced some uh, drunk person or some drug crazed person who didn't care that they were black belts. Right. 
since it opened, you want to add anything? Yeah, I just want to clear up. We're talking vaguely about inside and outside. And to me, inside is how close you are to the person, regardless of whether you're in front of them or behind them. Right. And outside is, to me, outside is where you almost can't be touched, right? Yep. Like you're on the outside. But there's dangerous places on the outside and the inside. Um, and so I think specifically uh, when I hear you talk, Sean, what I, I'm hearing is about where are the safe places to be on the inside, right? And, you know, I used to hate it when I would be standing in front of Sense Legacy and we'd be fighting. And then all of a sudden I was like, he's over there. Like I, I have to look over there now. <laughs> Right, like, and I know that feeling all too well. Over there, <laughs> like, you know, you're in a, when you're in a deficit, right? So your positioning puts you into a deficit. But to be very specific, if I if I can take your back, if I can get, if I'm standing like this and I, I can get over there, I mean, I sense of legacy said that I think when I was a white belt, like I remember him standing behind somebody there and say putting both his hands up like this and saying do whatever you want turn either way and no matter which way they went he had arms up and all the worst parts of your body are open for the most terrible strikes um, imaginable especially if you're a person who has good basics and can hit really hard or and I think then it's just you go to your strengths right like if Sensuino gets there you can depend that you know the next thing you know, the earth is going to smash into you like harder than you've ever been hit by the earth before. And if, uh, if sense of legacy gets over there behind you, you're going to be hit with something that, right. And why like something so hard that you've never experienced before. And I think it's just also the humans, right? Like if you see it coming unconsciously, your body prepares for it. Right. Like as it's coming at you, whether it's a grab or a throw, you can tighten up, you can, when you're turning and you can't see it coming, it can be probably 50% less powerful and still like destroy you because you don't see it coming and your body can't prepare for it. Thanks. I appreciate that answer for both of you. It's really helpful. Um, before we get too far away from the Olympics idea, uh, John Ryan uh, has some questions about oh, competition on. and the Olympics. So uh, maybe we could throw his camera on, Robert. Man, I've seen more of John Ryan this summer than- <laughs> Yeah, right? <laughs> the, the, the last time I saw this much of him, we were both in university together at Western. Yeah. Nice. Long, hey, long John. time ago. So I got a couple of questions. Uh, this doesn't pertain directly to the Olympics, but watching some other judo competitions, and somebody commented on an illegal judo throw. Sensei Suino, are there illegal judo throws? Yes, indeed, there are. They're, um, they're historically part of the canon. And if you look at the research materials that list all the throws, they'll be in there. But the competition committees, starting from uh, IJF and down, have decided they're too dangerous for competition. So I'll give you a couple of ex simple examples. One is throwing with an arm bar. So you can imagine this, somebody has their right arm and they're grabbing you and you take that arm, you come underneath and you're leveraging their elbow, right? And you throw them. We do that in, in Nihon Jiu-Jitsu, but you're not allowed to do that in judo competition. Another one is a throw called Kani Basami, which is where you, you chop their legs out with your legs. You drop to the floor and 
you take your legs and you hit the back of their knees and you hit them in the hips. And it's nothing with the legs, although that can be a problem. What happens is people concuss too often because mm. they get flopped down in the back. So yeah, there are a bunch of those throws that aren't allowed, you can't do in uh, in sanctioned competition. Okay, thank you, appreciate mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And Kyoshi Dofe, uh, I know you've competed in a lot of high level world competitions. I wanna ask you a question about your experience compared to what, what we saw on TV with like the men's kumite, which I've heard somebody comment on Facebook, it being the most dramatic game of tag ever. <laughs> um, was that some of your experience where it was like straight point contact, very, you know, trying to sell a technique? Was it different? Um, yeah, I think um, it's a good question, John. It's funny because, uh, and for people who don't know, John Ryan's a fifth degree black belt in our, our dojo. So he's, and he's been training with Sensei Lacey longer than me. Um, I got asked that question tonight by a student, a similar type of a question. And I think Olympic karate, one of the things is they're trying to promote athleticism, right? Like they're trying to promote, you know, so that's why they give you a higher score if you kick to the head, a higher score if you take a person down and hit them with an epon to the ground. Um, and they give two points if it's a kick to the body and it's one point for a punch. I mean, for what they're trying to do, I think that's good. Like, and it is dramatic and it's, they're very athletic and that's what the Olympics is about, right? It's about that. Uh, and I'm happy though, that in Olympic karate, they're clean techniques, right? Like if you, if you touch the head with your foot, but the person kind of hit it with their hand a little bit on the way out or in, then they don't call that a ipon, right? The tournaments I were more like sense of legacy tournaments. They're more like bite down on your mouthpiece and, and, and they're, I guess what I would say is they're more classical tournaments, right? They're more like, it's more realistic. You take a reverse punch in the head or, you know, Sean's going to go see our buddy, uh, Ty Yoakum, who we, I met him like through, uh, an international tournament. And I will be honest with you, uh, John, he's one of the best fighters I ever stood in front of in the ring. Like really good, big guy, fights big, fast, strong. But I, I did what I was coached to do by Sense of Legacy, hit him hard and fast and really hard and fast right off the hop. And uh, yeah. And I got just as many points for doing that punch, that jab to the body that um, doubled him over as if I had, done some fancy spinning hook kick to his head. Yeah, so, I, I didn't know if you were going to mention that um, he was big and he was strong and he's good. And he's a very good friend of ours. And that's, I said, this guy is big. You need to hurt him a little bit. Yeah. And right off the bat, we, I'm sorry, Ty, but <laughs> that was the, that was the gist of it. So if we can do that in the Olympics, you get this quote. That's right. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about Ty, though. I remember, um, so in Dominican, when that fight happened, then when we got, you skip forward to Panama the next year, and he's there. And uh, because of where I was, I was seated near the end because I had won the year before. And when he came out, he said, did you see my kata? And I said, Ty, I never watched the katas before me because it 
kind of messes with my mind so I don't look. So then that was in weapons. Then when we got to empty hand, he was standing next to me. He said, look, brother, as a friend, I would really like it if you watched my kata and told me how I did. And I said, I told you, I can't watch you. And he said, yeah, but if you don't watch me, if I don't screw you up somehow, there's no chance of me beating you. <laughs> that's, what he, that's what he said to me. So he was playing like mind games with me, trying to get me to do stuff so he could win. <laughs> oh, thanks very much for answering the question. And again, Hanchi, thanks for your uh, hospitality a couple of weeks ago. You're welcome, John. It was my pleasure. We're going to see you in a couple of weeks too, John. Looking, I'm forward, looking forward to forward it. Seeing you. Yeah. Very much looking forward to it. Thanks, John. Nice to see you. I see you too. And um, we also got a, a great question on deck here uh, from Justin Shea. So if, if he wants to have the camera on him, that'd be great too. This is a, uh, I look forward to this one. This is meat yeah. and potatoes. And Justin Shea, the newest showdown in Iido. Hey. <laughs> it's a lot to live up to, Sensei. <laughs> hey, Justin. Uh, so, hi. Hey, Sensei. Um, I have a question for the entire panel. Uh, what kind of strategies do you use to handle walls or barriers in your training? And if you know said barrier or wall could be worsened by, say, like overtraining on your own, what steps would you take to maintain the balance of net positive gain? Can you, when you say a wall or a structure, give me a scenario. Like, let's hear a scenario. So, if, uh, so for example, what you were saying before, Sensei, was... Um, you wanted to, uh, uh, training should be about being the best version of yourself. Um, so how would you distinguish between the best version of yourself and a wall? Like, right. So you don't mean that wall over there. You mean a barrier no. that stops you. You mean, how do you overcome the barriers that stop you from becoming the best version of yourself? Right? I if I'm encapsulating your question properly. Yeah. Well, if I'm answering that, I guess everything comes from your basics. If you, if you train your basics, uh, you will somehow find your way through that. Because that's all you're doing, really. It's just like writing a letter. You know, you're just using the alphabet. And you can figure it out in that way. Um, usually, when um, Randy and I are looking at something, He'll come over and he'll ask me a question. He'll already have the answer, but I'll find, I'll just say something. And he said, that's the way I saw it too. And it's all the mistakes you make, all the mistakes you're gonna make are in your basics. Of course, there's the physical, the mental and the spiritual is still wrapped into that, right? So if, if I understood that properly and you're trying to make everything better, just go back to that. Because it, it looks simple, but you know, basics are not that simple. It's the hardest thing, hardest thing to train. Like you know how my, one of my favorite cutters is Pina Nida. I when a new person or somebody from another club comes in, I ask them to do Pina Nida, or if they're um, Shodakan, it's Pina Shodan or Heian Shodan. It is so simple that you can see through everyone if you're mm. a well-learned martial artist. Sensei Suino? 
Yeah, I would extend that idea of basics to basics of learning theory too. I've been thinking about that a lot. So there's the physical basics and there's also the learning basics. We all know that if you never train, you're never going to get good. We also know that if you train until you hurt yourself, you're going to have to stop and you're never going to get good or it's going to slow you down. So there's basics in learning too. There's a lot of times when I was younger, when I would overdo it or go with more intensity than I was capable of controlling. And it was an intense experience. It made me feel good, but it was not the best path. I think something I've discovered in the last decade or so is to let things take their time. If I'm learning something new, enjoy the time you suck at it, put the time in, fix your eyes on where you want to be and show up and be sensible with the basics of learning as well as the basics of the technique, if that makes any sense. Sends it over? Well, I'm going to make a statement and I'll probably get beat up by Sensei and Sensei for this, but I had better teachers than them. So I have a slightly different answer, right? <laughs> I had better teachers than them because I have them as my teachers. And I, I don't mean any slight to Benny Allen or Sensei Sandoval or, or definitely not Sensei Yamaguchi. But uh, Sensei Suino undoubtedly is a different teacher than Sensei Yamaguchi. He's not him. And Sensei Legacy is not Benny Allen. He's not him. Um, and so, Justin, I guess what I would say would be, I'll go back to permissions. You know what your wall is. You already know what it is. Like, you don't need anybody to tell you where that is for you. And you probably have a good idea. If I said, what's your biggest struggle? You would say... I don't know. I, I don't know. Like some people would say I eat bad food. Other people would say I don't train enough. Other people would have different walls that they say. And if I said to them, and what's the answer to that wall, they would all probably say something that was on track. As Sensei Legacy said, they already have the answer to the wall, but they feel super uncomfortable delving into that. Right. They just don't like the feeling of being uncomfortable. And I would say that that's what it is. And because I have good teachers, it's always, I can be honest. I can go sit at Sensei Legacy or Sensei Suino's coffee table and say, I have this struggle. This is what I need to do. And I feel afraid and I feel uncomfortable. And they'll help me with that. They'll, that's, that's where you get that benefit of having a great teacher because they'll say, I understand, Randy, that you're uncomfortable with doing this or doing this. Um, it's okay. Sometimes it's just them saying, I have faith in you or giving you a different perspective. You know, you think you need to do this and you do need to do that, but you need to do this and this as well, which will make it easier. Or here's a couple steps to get to that place where you're feeling uncomfortable. Don't just jump right to there, go to here, then go to here. So, um, you're lucky because you, you have all these teachers around you. So if there is a wall and everybody has them, that's another thing. We all have them. Everybody has them. Um, nobody who's gotten great didn't have to crush some walls and bust them down, period. Like, Sense of Legacy had to basically build a style. Right? Like he had, to, he had to go out and find the teachers to give them all the katas so that we could benefit uh, from it. So I think that's, that's my answer. Uh, for you. Sean, what do you think? 
Well, you know, um, I'm your student, Sensei, and, and, and Justin, I'm going to share this with you. Way back in the 90s when Sensei Dolphin and I started together, and, you know, he said to me, if you're always honest with me, your karate will take care of itself. Like this karate between us will take care of itself. And that has been 100% true because we're not in a vacuum here, right? Like the walls, somebody else has moved through those walls. And I have 100% evidence in my life. And, you know, when I was living in LA and I was struggling with booze and drugs, I could come home sometimes and sensei would be like, how's your training going? And I would lie a little, not a ton. I always maintained my karate weirdly through my toughest times, but I'd always amplified a bit. So then he'd go, cool. And then he'd watch my karate and it wouldn't be where it should for a guy doing as much karate as I told him I was doing. So now he gives me a note that isn't terribly helpful because it's not related to my truth. So that I've shed that for 15 years now. Now I just tell him exactly, sensei, I'm struggling with this. That's my honesty. And then he goes, try this. And that's the answer. And it's awesome. And the other thing is that if I watch Sensei Dofen, let's say do 200 pull-ups, and I think that's the answer, and then I go injure my rotator cuff, and then I'm like, Sensei, I should have gone to him first and gone like, how do I get to be the guy who does that? Because every time I have, and you know this, Justin, he goes, you can't start there. I built this over a decade. And then you get an actual, this isn't even just metaphorical or, or, or like conceptual, like honesty, it's literal. Start with four a day then go five a day. Don't go 20 a day, etc. So for me, it's always just honesty with my teachers, because we're not in a vacuum. And we're in a we're in a thing that has a path that other people have walked before us. So whenever I hit a barrier, just tell Sensei Dofan what I'm struggling with, or Hanshi if I'm with him at the time. And uh, the answers are always way simpler and better than anything I'd have come up with on my own. You've crushed a lot of walls too, Justin. You're a person who's busted down a lot of barriers in your time that you've been training. So you know how to do it. Just And anyone that's in front of you, you're going to bring them all down. I have total faith that you will. Thank you, Sensei. That means a lot for me. I personally have noticed that you've covered a lot of distance since your university days. Thank you, Hanchi. Much appreciated. Thank you, senseis. Much appreciate your wisdom. Great to see you. Um, we've touched on this in other podcasts, but I'd love to just ask real simply, what's the most scared you've each been in either a street or dojo encounter? Personally, it was when I was standing in front of Wally Sloki. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I... I was a green belt and he hit me with a sidekick and I ended up like three rows into the audience. But to tell you the truth, because I had guys to train with like Benny Allen and Bill Hind and um, you know, a lot, a lot of those people, Bill Adams, I, I was never ever afraid in a real fight. Uh, I always was calm and had to do what was necessary because uh, when you're facing guys that are trained how to fight like the persons I mentioned, you're not afraid because you know they're not going to try to hurt you, even though it does happen sometimes. But people in the street, what I always do is, and tell my students, if you're in a confrontation with somebody in the street, put a karate gi on them and a white belt. Mm -hmm. And that, that will put everything into perspective. 
for you. So in the street, I've never been afraid. I sort of was excited. That's so funny you say that about putting, putting the key on. I, I, I was having a conversation with one of my students the other day, several of them, and, uh, and you know, if you walk in and you just feel like you're just a normal person, you're just you, right? I just walk in the dojo. Yeah, I'm just me. I'm just a schlub who's been doing this stuff for a while. And then you try to teach a class of, you know, 20 people and you look around and you go, you know what? No, no offense to everybody, but I'm pretty fucking good. (laughs) 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 Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always, I feel fear and uncertainty, but not in action. So I know that's an indirect, it's not really an answer to your question, but in the moment, in the midst of action, I can't remember ever being scared mm. once things are already underway, whether that's in the street or in the dojo. Um, it's, it's the uncertainty. You know, I remember one time in the Yokohama dojo, you know, it's a big Saturday night, there's 200 judo players in there and there's two or three guys who are, who are, um, you know, world, world competitors and they look like they're callous. They look like they're not really thinking about the welfare of others. And I remember having some apprehension about that. You know, gosh, this is going to be. And then, you know, one of the senseis said, hey, you know, Tabata sensei says, hey, so, you know, go out there and fight that guy. And after about four seconds of holding on to that guy's judo gi, you know, I'm not scared anymore. I'm just doing judo. You know, that's one of the things about it. Is it over? I think we're touching on a good subject here in action, right? So I think, and often in a real conflict, there's just not time to be afraid because you never, you didn't know it was coming and you didn't plan it and you didn't. So it's just, it's almost thrust upon you and then your training comes to bear. And, you know, uh, for me, like a couple of times after I've had conflicts, it's been after, right? Like, you know, I've talked to you, Sean, I remember having to go to Sensei Legacy as a black belt after working in this factory and having my first confrontation in this factory. And I remember hitting a person and them literally laying in the street and stepping over them and getting in my, my firebird, great car. I love that car. And like looking down to make sure I didn't run them over and only driving like two blocks before I had to get out of the car and like, feel like I was going to throw up and my hands were shaking and, because the adrenaline's coursing through your system. And then you're afraid because you're like, shit, I'm going to lose my job. The police are going to come. Like you start thinking about the consequences of the actions, but not before. Um, two times in the dojo, one would be after I got my yellow belt. I remember being outside and I remember Sense Legacy walking by me and saying, hey, you ready to fight the old man tonight? And at that time, he was only in his early 40s. And I thought he was talking about Kenny Ibu Suzaki. And I was like, <laughs> I guess. Like, I guess I and then and then John Ryan was there and he said, Look, dumbass, he means you're gonna be fighting him. And I was like, holy shit, what did I do? Like, what, <laughs> what did I do? Why do I have to fight him? Right. So I remember being a little bit afraid then, but again, once we started fighting, I remember feeling some pain, right? But not, I wasn't afraid while we were fighting, like, I wasn't paralyzed by fear. Um, and then the other time would just be the first time I ever went to what we call the forum, which is where you just go in and you just fight, like, there's no 
Sensei has these three rules, right? No kata at the forum, no brutality, and no sniveling. So two of those rules cancel each other out. <laughs> if you're brutal, you're not allowed to snivel about it, right? But, <laughs> but, um, uh, I remember being outside this grade school as a brown belt. I remember I had gotten graded to a brown belt on a Saturday. We went to breakfast, and as Sensei was leaving, he squeezed my shoulder and he said, uh, "Come to uh, Elmdale School in St. Thomas." tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock we're going to do a forum and now you're a brown belt and you can come and I remember being exhilarated and instantly afraid and that night I was like I don't know what the shit is going to happen tomorrow when I show up at this place right so that's and again I think we're going back to what Sensuino said and what Sensuino said if you have time to think then you'll catastrophize it and you'll fill in the blanks with the details that make you afraid um, yeah. but once you get to it you know, yeah. And two seconds after I was in the room, Scott Bauer and kicked me in the face and <laughs> broke my face open for about four or five stitches. <laughs> it was so fun. I loved it. So happy yeah. that happened to me. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I was scared so many times fighting you in the early days, Sensei Dauphin, in an excited way, like genuine fear, genuinely excited. And often the fear would come when I hit you out of control. Like, we'd establish this and then I did this without realizing it. And then I'd look at you and go, and then yeah. my fear would kick sure in. Sure you didn't realize it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. The only other time I've ever felt fear, you know, and this is what I think is so great about the martial arts. Like you talked about it, Hanshi and Sensei Suino, and I know it with you, Sensei Dauphin. Like I have felt fear opposite you in a friendly sparring session that I've never felt anywhere else. And the only other time I felt anything approximating that was at 4 a.m. at a Hells Angels clubhouse where I was there doing the drugs and hanging out. I didn't belong there. I was there with a friend of a friend of a friend and things just started to get a little dark. And the guys just started to look around for maybe who didn't belong. And I felt fear. And I said to my buddy, I'm going to go. And uh, anyways, it, it's, it's a cool thing for all the times people try to fight me that it doesn't even approximate what's going on in the dojo. It's like, yeah, come on. What are you talking about? And they always lead with the chin, right? Have you noticed the guys in the street? They're all like, come on. And you're like, oh, dude, I don't, we can't. <laughs> we can't. That's just like, you know. Anyways, there you go, Sensei Dove. Aspiring with you is like being in a Hells Angels clubhouse gacked out at 4 a.m. You know, I would say to you, though, Sean, that that's one of those things that Sensei trained into me at a really early age is that use what you got like if you can make somebody afraid of you if you can get that deficit before you start to fight right yeah right and if you uh sensei copeland you, i remember him when when sid went to go compete in hamilton at the world championships i just remember listening to him about the way he told her how you enter the ring before you fight and where you look and how you get there and Make sure you're looking at the opponent before they start to look at you. You're always looking at them and they're catching up to you. And it was always putting the person in a psychological deficit so that by the time the fighting started, you had already defeated them two or three times before the referee had even said, Hajime, right? Like, yep. go, right? Um, just stuff like that. Sensei said all the time when he'd say, like, don't warm up here. Go warm up. Don't let people see what you can do when you come at the ring just sit around and watch everybody and don't talk to anyone mm -hmm. right so i didn't 
I just sat at the, you know, even in Kata, Sean, things like, I remember people saying to me, are you, people saying, are you competing today? And I'd say, oh, no, I'm not. And then when they called the division, I'd walk over and throw my tag down on the table and they'd be like, shit, he said he wasn't competing and now he's competing. Right. Right. Like, and that puts them in a psychological deficit right away. Yep. Um, you know, you taught me that. And the, the, uh, the, the, the Matsumura challenge that I got gold in Kumite, I didn't talk to anybody. I did my shit out the back. I came when guys were like, Hey, and I just wouldn't even look at them. Wouldn't even, wouldn't even acknowledge they were talking to me. The year I got silver, I was playing it friendly and chatty. And I think it would have gone differently if I'd done the same thing or not but there was a marked difference in how i approached it and one was very competitive and one wasn't you said to me recently i give up no advantages and i love that you can't give up any advantages why would you <laughs> right you're going to compete you're going to try and win inside the rules i never cheated i never ever once cheated um but if I could bend it, <laughs> I would. Um, so and like I never kicked anybody in the leg, but sometimes I touch their leg before I kick their head. Right. <laughs> um, you had a question for Sensei Legacy, Sensei Dauphin, or, or something you wanted him to chat yeah. about if he wanted. I think, uh, you know, our, our podcast here and our show and documenting martial arts history, um, well, it's great when we're all chatting with each other. Uh, you know, we had, we had Sensei Bill Hines on here, who's a pioneer in martial arts outside of Asia, for sure, like globally. I wouldn't even say just in Canada. I would just say globally. He's a pioneer. And I think we might have had the last public conversation with him about martial arts. And he's passed away, sadly. Um, you know, Sensei Legacy and I were talking to each other the other day and I said he said to me you know Randy you said to me none of us are getting out of this life alive right and it's it's true so um, I really am happy for the life that Sensei Hines uh, lived and what he did and how he influenced everybody but Sensei Legacy recently went to his memorial which was a very it was a closed event uh, Sensei Hines didn't want a lot of people there and Sensei Legacy was actually invited, one of the very few people who were invited to come to it. And I just, it'd be nice to hear how that went from Sensei Legacy's perspective, what he loved about Sensei Hines, maybe what he shared with that small community or what he wants anybody in this community to know about Sensei Hines. So. Well, he was a mentor of mine and somebody that I, I uh, try to model myself like in many ways. Our nickname for him was the Tasmanian Devil because he was so fast, so explosive. Um, he insisted that I be there. And what an honor that was. Just like I was uh, in, at the Hall of Fame and while well, he was there at the same time that we were. Um, and I would really like to give a big thanks to uh, Cindy and Evan Hind who who followed through with Bill's wish that I be there and they made sure that I was there and they invited me. 
on Valiant during the times of training. I'll just give you one thing, not to bore everyone, but uh, when um, uh, my sensei started sending me to Benny Allen, Bill Hine was there. He was a third down. I was just a new show down, a new beginner. I think might even been a brown belt. And uh, being a new guy and from out of town, Bill never said much. He, he just never said much. And then when Benny Allen would say, well, okay, pair off, he would scream, legacy. And 30 or 50 people would open up like the Red Sea, you know, and, <laughs> and he would be standing on the other end just doing this to me. <laughs> and I was the new guy. I was... That's one of those times when I was nervous, <laughs> maybe even scared, but I, I'm not going to say that. Okay. And um, he would push me. Uh, like sometimes he would jump on my back, like piggyback style, and make me do my basics with him on, his, on my back. And uh, he did that week after week until month after month. And then, you know, after a little while, people would say, you know, he must really like you because he hardly ever talked to anybody or said anything to anybody. But he was a, a dominant figure. He, he never had to say much. Even when he didn't say anything, he scared you, you know, so. The other thing I would like to say is that I was really honored that um, he, he had a lot of his students were there, chosen students and they were having their camp and uh, I was really surprised when Cindy turned to me and said, we would like you to be the first person to spread his ashes. I was, um, quite an honor. My life as a martial artist would not be the same if I hadn't known. That's it. That's enough. <laughs> That's perfect. Taxi. Um, and I'm sorry about your friend. Yeah, well, maybe we could just take a second to think about it. Um, Christiana, you get to have the camera on you right now for okay. question. Love this girl. Yeah. Great for question. People, people who don't know Christiana, she's the rubber boot girl. So she came to karate camp. She started at karate camp and, uh, she had her rubber boots on and she did every single thing 10 times harder than everybody uh. else with her rubber boots on. <laughs> in 30 degree weather <laughs> all the time. Where is I'm she? Still, I'm still training with my rubber boots on. I know, I saw a picture of you, Christiana, out on the farm. <laughs> now, now she's out on the farm. So good to see you. Good to see you too. Um, so my question is uh, for all, all of you, um, well, all the panel hosts there. <clears throat> Was there a moment uh, perhaps in the beginning where you realized I can actually hurt someone with what you had learned at that point. 
Um, if so, what was that moment? I'm not sure about that because it comes over time. But, you know, the thing about martial arts is that it doesn't let you know really that you're better than anyone else. It sort of just uh, keeps you on a straight line of wanting to get better. That's why you're with yellow belts. And when you're green belt, you're with green belts. And when you're black belts, you're with black belts because it keeps you fairly humble because there's the worst, as you know, in hockey, <laughs> uh, even the worst guy can beat the best guy in any given day. That's It's a game. It's a challenge. There's so many different things that can happen. But um, I would say around the black belt level, when you, I realize that uh, if if something happened that I could probably hurt someone enough to um, to defend myself. Uh, you discover by fighting guys like Jack Dunham, John Pearson, and those guys, uh, tough guys that are in a dojo that you have to compete with for to stand in line and first place in line. So um, it comes over time because uh, you become more consistent. You're not losing when you're yellow belt. You're not winning when you're a green belt. You're not losing when you're a purple belt. You just, if you train hard, you gradually get better and the art becomes your own. So it's a lifetime struggle. I'm still trying to get better. What you, Sensei Suino? Let me defer to, I'd like to hear your answer, Sean, and also Randy's answer. Yeah, this is something, Christiana, for me that it's just, Sensei is expressing it, and I'm going to express it maybe a little simpler. I'm just going to say imposter syndrome is a real thing, and you will always feel the same until you feel different. And today I feel different. Like, I don't there is a time when you're a yellow belt, you feel the same as you did when you were a white belt. And when you're a green belt, you feel the same as you did when you were a white belt and you're a brown belt. You feel the same as you were when you were a white belt. And I'm going to even say probably when you're a black belt, maybe a second then, maybe a third then, you're still struggling and you still feel very similar to the way you were when you're a white belt. And then I don't know when the day comes, Christiana, I don't know when it happens, but like Sensus Reno said, you walk in the dojo one day and you're like, hey, I'm pretty fucking good at this now. Like, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fucking good at this. And I don't know um, what it is. To answer your question specifically though, I just think it becomes very practical. Like, when do you know you can hurt somebody? When you've hurt people. Right. And when you've hurt people who are serious, I don't mean like, you know, you're, you're in the dojo with the rules of engagement. So for me, an example would be uh, since his legacy will smile, uncle Jimmy, if I say the name, uncle Jimmy, he'll smile. Right. So my uncle Jimmy was a person who was in and out of prison. And when he was in prison, he didn't want me doing karate. He said, Oh, karate people, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I remember one day I came home and I was a brown belt and 
Uncle Jimmy was out of prison. My mom had been talking to him about doing karate and he was a person who used to hit me all the time because he thought that's the way he was toughening me up was by mm. giving me punches here and there all the time. And on this day, I saw him and he was out of jail and I gave him a big hug and we were excited to see each other. And then you skip forward maybe 15 minutes and I'm standing there and all of a sudden, crack, he punches me in the arm so hard that my fingers kind of go numb. And then he looks at me and he goes, give me one right there. Give me one right there. Let me show what this karate stuff's been doing for you. And I remember I looked over at my mom and she went, and I went, bang. That was the last time he ever hit me in my entire life. He never hit me after that. I hit him, Christiana, in the middle of the body. And it, he was like rolling around in pain for what seems like hours, but it was probably minutes. And that was a moment when I was like, okay, well, if I can hit this guy and I can knock him on his ass, I probably can hit other people and knock them on their ass, right? Like, and I hit him in the middle of the body. So, you know, I'll say this, I, I'll say this to Sense of Legacy. He'll probably remember we were sitting in his sofa watching Mike Tyson fights. He is such a scary human being, mm -hmm. like the way he punches. Mm -hmm. But I asked Sense of Legacy, I said, if Mike Tyson put his chin forward and said to you, Sensei, go ahead, hit me right there, what would happen? Sensei said, oh my God, his head would explode. If I punched him, his head would explode. And that's the truth, right? Humans are humans. You develop a certain, if you punch somebody, Christiana, if you like uncork on somebody, the way that you punch, you might not feel it inside of you, but they would not recover from that. They, they would not. Uh, that's my opinion. You're a black belt, um, highly trained from the time you were a kid. You know how to punch and move in a way that other people just, they can't overcome that deficit. That's my answer, Sensei Spino. Sorry, I went on long there. Yeah, mine's pretty pretty straightforward. And he, Sensei Dofan kind of said it like, when it happened was when I knew I could do it. And for me, there was two things that happened right around the same time. Because I was at Western with like 60 people, white yellow, green, got my purple belt there. So it just felt like we were all in it together. So there was no marked difference, it felt like. And then I went and trained with Sensei Dofan one-on-one for two years while I was at theater school. And my progress was really slow because I only saw him so much, but we were starting to spar a lot. And then I remember meeting someone who was a couple belts ahead of me, had been a member of our club, but wasn't at the time in a squash court. And within like 30 seconds, he was like not having a good time. And at the end, he like he he, he didn't want to do what was just laid back fighting for me in Sensei Dauphin. Uh, he got hurt that day, and not in a brutal way, but just like his ribs, his he couldn't handle it. He didn't want to do it, and I was kind of like, huh. And then my grading for my third cue was pretty soon after, and I'd only been fighting a lot with Sensei Dauphin, and so I went into that grading fighting like that, and. Um, I was a little heavy with some people and even Hanchi said to me after he goes, just cause you can, doesn't mean you should. And I kind of knew, Oh, okay. Uh, you know, these are people technically at my level, but I've been working the fighting so much with an elite fighter that I knew in that moment that not everybody, not all the time, but I could definitely hurt people by the time I was a third Q Brown belt. Sensei says all the time, if you're in a good classical dojo, by, by the time you're a green belt, you should be tough. You should be able to handle a lot of situations. But I don't think you always feel like that when you're a green belt because you haven't done it enough yet. 
<laughs> and also when you're fighting your like Alden doesn't think he's that tough like because he only fights us right so he has no oh, perspective that's because he's nice because Alden's fucking tough <laughs> yeah. so there's some perspective there right where he's asking the same question Christiana and he's a killer thank you well since it's Sweeno, what Sweeno. hey I want to hear well I'm, I, I'm gonna avoid the question and ask you a question Christiana what made you ask that question what are the thoughts in your head is it a struggle for you? Is it, um, you're just interested in that recognition? Um, what made you ask the question? Uh, what made me ask the question was really when I was just thinking about, I didn't mean the question as an intentionally hurt someone. I meant it more of like, if there was an accident and where you're like, oh, I could hurt that person, right? Especially that's why I mentioned more the beginner because when you're generally more of a, a beginner, you're more likely to make that mistake than when you finally got control as you advance up. So it was more of, I was more interested in kind of like the route of when you realize the responsibility of having that said power, not necessarily just being able to just say, yeah, I can hit anybody I'll knock them out. I'll hurt them. Anything like that. It was more of the responsibility portion of that. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that um, um, the truth is we all have that responsibility all the time. Anybody can hurt anybody, you know, in a moment, just like two fighters, you know, as, as Hanji said, right. A, a, a bad hockey player can beat a good one. Um, a, it happens in boxing sometimes, right. Um, a bad boxer can beat a good boxer. Um I've had these ridiculous moments where I've done some gesture and smashed somebody in the face accidentally and put them on the floor and, and, and with no intention whatsoever. Right. I mean, any of us can hurt anybody. So to me, uh, from the responsibility perspective, I just think it evolves, right? It, it, you, we all have it. It goes up as your, as your ability to create damage goes up. That reminds me of the scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know if you've seen this Tarantino movie, but uh, basically the Bruce Lee character is on the set of uh, the, um, the Green Lantern and then Brad Pitt plays the stuntman and Bruce Lee's talking, kind of holding court. And he goes, and, and Brad Pitt's being a little bit glib with him. And he goes, I'd really uh, you know, enjoy hurting you, but my hands are registered as lethal weapons. That means if we get in a fight and I accidentally kill you, I go to jail and then Brad Pitt just goes, anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. <laughs> Such a great moment because it devalues that whole myth of being registered. It's like, yeah, so what? Mm -hmm. You know, and I love what you said, since we know anybody can hurt anybody at any time and we do have a responsibility. That's, you know, Sean, that's one of the things, Christiana, you wouldn't know because you were like, a lot of you guys were kids when you came in the dojo, just little, but when adults come in here and you just get that vibe from them that they're, they got a chip on their shoulder or they're, I like to be one of the first fights that they have. And I like to purposely leave my head open or a target open and see how they're going to go after that mm. target to see how safe they're going to be in the dojo with other people. Right. Um, and you know, it always comes back to you. Like, I remember since I see, we had a guy, his name, I'm not going to say his last name. His first name was Ron. And uh, he would hurt people all the time in the dojo. And then it got back to Sensei Legacy. And then one day 
since they said, okay, everybody put your fighting stuff. He did the numbers and he was like, everybody avoided this guy and said, put your stuff on. And he saw that this guy, Ron, wasn't going to have a partner. And he was like, today's the day. He's getting it today. <laughs> Do you remember that sensei? We were out in the park. And then you went and put your stuff on. Okay, I'll say his last name. His name, last name is Lamb, Ron Lamb. And you, uh, <laughs> you put your stuff on and you turned around and he had switched with his own kid. He had made his kid. He saw you putting your stuff on and he knew he was going to get his beating that day. And he switched before he took his beating. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. <laughs> the thing I like to say about that is, uh, after listening to everybody, I think since Sweeno touched on it, is that responsibility comes with with uh, the knowledge. I think once it's like driving a car. Once you drive a car and you can drive it fast, you don't drive fast because you know it's dangerous. So when you have a powerful punch like that, you don't play with something like that. It could take somebody's life. It could cripple them behind them there's so much danger there that most people are smart enough not to do it that that you know i know we're near the end since you know but that that tweaks for me an idea that you know are you truly a peaceful person if you don't have the option of hurting someone or are you just defaulting to avoidance like if you can't hurt someone then peace isn't a choice for you you're just trying to sneak through the edges. Whereas if you can hurt someone and you take the responsibility not to, you're actually choosing peace. Well, it's a funny path we choose. I mean, I guess a lot of us step on the path because we have this idea that it's a good thing to be able to defend yourself or, or there's a, uh, an idea of hurting people equaling strength. But nobody that stayed in this long enough not to be a quitter still has that idea. It's not that we can't do it. We just don't. We, we've seen the arc of history. And we don't want to. We don't want to live that way. That's right. I'm holding on for about 722 more days to that idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it, Sean. I think that's it too. Thanks, Christian. It's great to see you. Thanks for nice chipping in. That's a great question. Everybody, thank you. Also, you have one of the cutest babies on the face of the earth. Oh, congratulations on that. Thank you. Nice to see you. You too. Well, yeah, it's it, it. That is it. We're 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 at ten. So should we just take around the horn and say goodbye, Hanshi? Do you want to start us off with anything you want to say? Uh, no, it's great. These chats, like this, has had to be the quickest night ever. Like I, I just looked up and it's it's over. So uh, you know, these are these are pretty good nights. We get to discuss more of uh, our own choosing and delve deeper into the martial arts because. Normally, we're looking at people's individual lives and what they've accomplished so that we can um, recognize the true history of Canadian martial arts and American martial arts. But in this way, we get to look deeper into the actual martial arts that we all do. Thank so you. Yeah, Sensei Sweeno. Yeah, I love this conversation tonight. Um, it flowed by quick. It was easy to to go through and just the the the, uh, the sequence, you know, we had some Olympic stuff to tee up, but this particular group, we seem to come back a lot to the to the to the heart of martial arts. You know, why do we do it? What makes what makes it great? 
how does it change our lives? Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else to add. This was super fun. Since you know that? I like, I enjoy this time with us, this group of people, um, right? Nobody extra, just us. That's my favorite, right? Mm -hmm. Is that it's just this group of people talking about things that we like to talk about. Um, I like seeing you, Sean. I like seeing Sense of Sfino, and I like seeing Sense of Legacy. I like hearing the thoughts. I always learn a lot from this. I'm happy to see some students pop on the screen and ask some questions and get their time uh, to be part of this. Um, yeah, I think it's important what we're doing and I just love doing this with these guys. And I don't think it can happen if we don't have the, the bond with each other that we have. You know, I've said this before, like I think when, you know, maybe my relationship with Sensei Legacy is one of the greatest Sensei student relationships of all time in all history. And all of us kind of have that, right? We all have that. So how could anybody ever reproduce this? Like if you don't have that, it can't happen, right? Like we have this thing together. You can't package it. You can't reproduce it. You can't manufacture it. Soon, Sean, you won't be a quitter. Like you're coming up on the line where you'll be, <laughs> you'll be over 30 years. So um, yeah, I just love this night. Um, I love talking to all the other people we talk to, but these are always the most fun personally for me. Thanks, Sensei. Yeah, I loved this night and, and, and I, I love all of them, but tonight felt a little, I don't know, a little deeper for me. And, you know, I want to go to something that, that was around Justin's question, like when I answered about honesty and barriers, Justin, I also think about it in terms of really positive, amazing stuff. Like, you know, I'm a fifth degree black belt. I'm in the middle of that path. And I have a lot of ideas that I believe in. And tonight I got to share like a concept I believe in about inside outside and an idea about Zen flesh and bones. And I, that's a positive honesty. Like that's not a things are going badly. That's Here's where I, here's what I believe today. And then I get to have my fucking 10th Dan Hanchi answer that question by combining them, by kind of going, yeah, well, when you're Zen in your outside or inside, there is no, and I get to learn so simply through the honesty of a positive and, and what I'd almost call volitional idea. Like, Hey, here's what I'm thinking today. Uh, and so I really enjoy getting to chip in with some thoughts because it's not like they're corrected. They're just built upon by my teachers. And I felt like that happened a lot tonight. And I appreciate it. Um, Sensei Dofan, do you want to uh, tell us about next week, our, our usual housekeeping? No, I'm not going to. Because oh. uh, I'm going to pass it over to Sensei Sfino because we got a big judo block coming up. And I think he is the best one to talk about. I'm ex super excited about it. Um, and I just want to hear Sensei Sfino talk about who we got coming up. Well, so you want to skip over next week is what you're saying. Oh, sorry. Um, I don't want, I don't want to skip over and thank you. So next week is Sense of Demora and the week after that is um, Sense of Bill Adams. Super excited to talk to those people. I was skipping ahead to, in our mind, the conversations that we had um, on Facebook today about, you know, we're never just the next two weeks out. We're always like, 
three or six weeks out. And oftentimes people get frustrated with that. People say, you know, you should have this person on. And we're like, we want to have that person on, but it's three weeks, it's three months away from being able to have that person on. So yeah, next week we got Sensei Demora, Fumio Demora, super excited to talk to him. And then the week after that, Sensei Bill Adams, great, another great friend of Sensei Legacies who has been a great personal influence um, to myself. And then after that, we got a big judo block coming up. And that's why I was punching it to Sensei Suino. Yeah. And by the way, I know you've said this, Randy, but um, anybody on this call, anybody's listening, if you don't know who Fumio Demura is, get your ass to Wikipedia or to the library and understand how important this guy is to, to the history of martial arts and what a big deal it is that he wants to memorialize some of his life on Punch, Kick, Choke, mm. Chat. Not only that, but if you're in front of other martial artists, if you have coffee with them, if you get in the dojo with them, make sure they know, too, that he's on. This is, this is a big deal. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of big deal people on this show, but this guy's, this guy's a big deal. Make sure everybody knows if they miss this. I mean, of course, they can watch it on YouTube. It's not the same thing, right? You can always pull up a Led Zeppelin song on YouTube. <laughs> That's not the same as having been at a Led Zeppelin concert. And this guy's a big deal. So make sure everybody knows about that. Um, anyway, September, uh, I'm not going to say the exact dates yet, but we're, because we're still moving a few pieces around, but we definitely have one of our longtime biggest supporters, uh, Al Panakia coming on the show. Um, awesome human being. He was going to go on before and then he had some, 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 uh, uh family tragedy, but he is back. He's ready to rock. Um, and he's confirmed he's going to be on with us in September. Um, and, and, the more I learn about him, the more excited I am about this episode. This guy has an amazing judo history. Um, and we are also, uh, we've also got a commitment to come on the show from Sensei Francis Glaze, who is one of the top female judo coaches in North America. And somebody who has a long history of, uh, of helping the judo community thrive. Uh, I just, I can't tell you enough about her. She's coming actually to JMAC this Saturday to do a kata clinic for us. She's in her seventies. She's had a hip replacement. She's still a badass, um, and um, just brings together all the great things about martial arts into somebody who, uh, who's a, who's a, a fantastic human being. I'm really looking forward to that. And then um, I don't know if we, are we ready to, are we ready to mention the name of the third person, Randy, or are we, should we wait on that? Uh, we could do a teaser. I'm just okay. waiting to hear back. He he did represent Canada in the Olympics uh, in judo. Since the legacy knows his uncle really well. His uncle's name is Frank Hadashida. And I'm <laughs> working really hard to try and nail him down. And I don't think it'll be too hard because he's a really nice person. It's just I haven't got the correspondence back because he's away right now. Um, but be a great person to talk to. Yeah, widely known name in the judo community. So it sounds like September is going to be judo month at Punch Kick, Choke, and Chat. Love it. Love it. Uh, for everybody who's tuned in tonight, what a pleasure. You know, you could do anything with your night. You chose to spend it with us. And for those of you who weren't online and live with us on Zoom, uh, real pleasure for you to have watched us on YouTube. Smash that like button. Smash that subscribe button. Shoot us some comments. We dig the engagements. And also, I just want to say thank you to all the people who make Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat happen. Robert Schlumsky, Mike Russell, Victoria Feth, Justin Shea, who we saw tonight, Alden Adair, Andre Sedeshev. And be sure to tune in next week 
for that, uh, you know, intensely special episode among all our special episodes. It's going to be super great. I can't wait to see y'all again. I can't believe we've got to wait a week to do this again. I seriously love you guys. Thanks so much for doing this together. I'm, I love you guys, all of you. Thanks, man. We can't wait to see you. Yep. And Hanshi and Sensei, we'll see you on Saturday. Good night, everybody. Rock and roll. Thanks for showing up.